0: Welcome to One, a new media platform that highlights interesting personalities and their endeavors. This is a series brought to you by Carbon, which is a profit-driven social impact enterprise that creates blueprints of successful businesses that are used to generate franchises or quote unquote carbon copies that empower communities around the world to achieve social and economic prosperity by implementing our economies in a box. We are focused on advancing education, women's resiliency, and resource efficiency, food, energy, and water.
1: One is centered on the concept that a single individual can change the face of the world and impact humanity. There is cause and effect to all of our actions, and they can send ripples through generations to follow. One is about authentic individuals, inspiring stories, career advice, adventures, and passions.
0: And you are hosted by Shane Veramalay, and I am a co-founder and managing partner of Carbon.
1: This is Jason Wang, student at Indiana University. This is Akeem Mohammed student at indiana university
0: this is the power of one i hope you enjoy you can find out more about us at www.carbongroup.global you can also find us on social media facebook linkedin instagram and twitter we have a very special guest my esteemed colleague and partner in carbon ratan agarwal a history in management consulting and technology, and bringing innovative solutions to the world. He is here today to talk about how we can leverage technology to solve last mile resourcing, which is a consistent problem for challenges facing humanity. Ratan decided to hang up his hat in corporate America and take on some new endeavors to make more impact in his life. He is currently working on a new platform called the Carbon Compound, which is basically a solutions marketplace. So with that, then Ratan, my friend, I'm glad you could join us today. Uh, very excited to hear your story and what moves you. As you know, this has been a great journey putting this together with you, and we're just scratching the surface. So welcome to the show. Shane and Akipa uh, guys, thank you very much. Uh, I
2: really feel privileged uh, to be part of Carbon Journey. And um, I, I really think um, this is uh, one of those opportunities I would call um, the opportunity of life where you really have an, uh, ch- a chance to drive a transformational impact and change the inflection point in our uh, battle for a sustainable world for all and future generations. And that is really the most exciting for me. Um, so my name is Ratan Agarwal and um, it, it had been a long journey. I think I, when I look back, um, my childhood, um, it's just, um, it, it feels like uh, multiple lifetimes. I grew up in a very small two-room house um, an upbringing that taught me so many valuable lessons uh, of life. Um, studying under a small lamp uh, with um, no facilities uh, of uh, modern day life in terms of uh, whether water coming from the pipes or gas or to, um, motorized transport. But uh, all that uh, is something I cherish uh, because it has given me so many lessons. Uh, lessons to really value the smallest uh, assets, the smallest um, facilities, uh, everything in life, uh, and nothing to be wasted. And uh, a life in, in which, uh, in, in spite of uh, minimal, facilities, minimal uh, comfort creatures, um, really get so many opportunities because so many people were able to help. And um, after having uh, made so many positive turns and to be here and to be in a position to make a difference in the world and with so many people, I feel this is my Uh, best opportunity to give back because I have received so much uh, to be able to uh, be here where I am today. So, Shane, I I really feel this is the best time to make um, a really huge change because there are a number of things in our favor, uh, and we will talk about that in terms of uh, how the demographical shifts are happening, how the technologies have um, evolved to a point where they present a unique opportunity uh, how the world is looking for really innovative solutions to many problems we face Uh, the loss of uh, negative um, events we see day to day but there's a lot more positivity
0: which i think presents a unique opportunity Awesome. That's yeah, an amazing story. I, I know you come from very humble beginnings. And so where exactly did you grow up? Um, where did you go to school? What was that like? You know, how did you even get to school without motorized transport? What, what was that lifestyle like? So it's, it's a funny, Shane. um
2: very small village in India, maybe about um, you know, uh, three 400 kilometers from the capital um, south, a little bit of uh, west, a little bit of, uh, uh, I would say, north of New Delhi. But um, what was remarkable as uh, I was growing up as part of a family of four, uh, uh, one brother and two sisters, and um, my father was a teacher, um, got um, really good grounding in terms of valuing the education uh, because of uh, that chance. But um, as I was growing up, um, I used to walk about six kilometers to my um, higher secondary school. And um, that gave me an appreciation of, uh, as I was saying, in terms of uh, the smallest uh, uh, creature comfort, the smallest things uh, to value it so much. And the value of the hard work. Uh, I used to come home and uh, then in the evenings or on the weekends, I used to join my mom for uh, work in our fields. Uh, helping with her in the crops and um, doing uh, contributing uh, in all the different ways for um, the whole household. So it gave me the perspective of hard work. It gave me the perspective of um, cherishing the life uh, in a small family, small town and seeing uh, both good and bad in terms of um, so many people with simple life but still enjoying it. And at the same time, um so many people who could be helped in uh so many ways uh, whether it is health whether it's education whether it is um giving them a chance to uh be more productive to advance and uh, uplift out of their uh limitations so i think it, it, that perspective has remained with me and i have i have traveled around the world um uh, to places like madagascar like cambodia like Tanzania, like uh, chile all over the six, seven continents, uh, it has given me uh, perspective about um, there are so many unique uh, ways so all of these people teach us. At the same time, we all have the obligation to contribute and make their life better. And I think that's uh, the beauty of this world. I think uh, we can all have a unique opportunity to make that lasting impact All we just need to stand up and uh, do our part
1: that that's great um i just had i wanted to ask you about kind of how you chose to go which kind of university you went to and then your career path from there i also kind of want to know about with me uh, soccer was kind of a divine defining thing in how i about and how like i just dis- i developed discipline and stuff were there any sports in your life growing up that helped kind of shape who you are today
2: it it, it is Akeep, you're right um the sports and i would also also add other cultural aspects whether it's a music whether it is dance uh, whether it is um, debate so for me actually i was uh, never good at any of these uh, in terms of being an um, outstanding athlete or outstanding performer but uh, i also got the chance to really uh, catch each of these uh, i was in the debate competition in the school um, i played cricket a little bit, I have played uh, badminton, uh, tennis, um, table tennis, so many sports and that has um, given me the fascination for uh, all the sporting activities in general, Um, so I love to watch and love to learn from the sporting activities. Uh, Same thing with the music, Um, I'm uh, privileged to have a wife who is a phenomenal dancer and uh, singer and um, painter in spite of being uh, a medical doctor and again it gives the unique perspective in life in terms of uh, everybody has so many gifts so you are right i think um, sports and uh, music and dance they again gives you opportunity to develop into a, um, I think uh, uh,
1: what i would call wholesome human being yeah man uh, I also kind of I also want to know about how you chose the university you decided to go to.
2: So it it, it was a little bit of a fate, I would say, a little bit of, um, uh, I think, uh, a direction which uh, was taking me to uh, where I am uh, in spite of some left and right turns, which uh, I would not have foreseen at the time when it was happening. I uh, I went to engineering school um, in uh, my uh, state, Rajasthan, and after doing the civil engineering, um, the plan was to go to one of those uh, public sector jobs, which used to be the norm uh, during my day in engineering. So I was all prepared for that, and then um, suddenly there was a chance to appear in a nationwide exam for uh, postgraduate degree in um, engineering field. Uh, took the exam and um, gotten into the top uh, 1% uh, in that exam. And that opened the door to go to the prestigious school in India, IIT Bombay, Indian Institute of Technology. So again, um, got the opportunity. Some of it is by luck. Uh, Some of it is uh, because of where I was. And uh, after completing my structural engineering, I was all fired up to really work in uh, complex skyscrapers, complex structures in terms of designing them and um, applying all the knowledge. And then the fate took me to uh, software uh, software world, uh, having the first job in the software field, which uh, was meant to invest in uh, in the CAD CAM and uh, complex uh, engineering design, but never happened. I love to, uh, I continue to enjoy my uh, software engineering career. And after a few years, I uh, decided to broaden my horizons in terms of adding uh, business skills with the technical skills, which took me to uh, Wharton School in the University of Pennsylvania, in, uh, not far from here in Philadelphia. So again, a phenomenal experience uh, working with uh, so many uh, gifted international students, along with uh, lots of bright students from all walks of the life in the uh, US. And uh, so that was, again, uh, another turn, but um, really putting me in that long-term path of um, applying my all my technical, analytical, engineering mindset to solve the major problems in business, and uh, uh, really essentially preparing me to what we need to do today.
0: Wait, so you're telling me you went from a hut with no water, no electricity, no plumbing, to IIT, to Wharton, and then onto this massive career in technology. Absolutely love it. I love it. And uh, I think you found your way kind of into the finance uh, realm after a lot of your schooling, right, that kind of combined some of your engineering expertise, but kind of took you down a path of, I believe, management consulting, correct? Indeed. Uh, so,
2: finance, uh, interestingly, has been uh, one of my uh, favorite subjects. Again, coming from the engineering, there's an analytical natural bent uh, which uh, uh, is uh, uh, synergistic with finance. Uh, so far, operations, uh, strategy, planning, those have been some of my favorite subjects. Um, and um, I have always taken a bit of an analytical approach to look at the problems which are hard to tackle in terms of the problems which require understanding of intangibles, uh, translating softer issues into hard analytical models and frameworks to be able to drive uh, objective decisions and um, bring everybody together on the same path. So the I would say combination of finance, combination of uh, that engineering uh, background, that analytical uh, approach to things in general uh, have really given me that unique perspective to uh, navigate through uh, the soft, touchy-feely issue with lots of intangibles to be considered and making sure we can bring in both the hard data as well as uh, the softer
0: issues to arrive at the right decisions. And all this leading up to an amazing career. I know most of your life was spent at Cisco, and I think that set the framework for what you're trying to do at Carbon. Um, And I know you're you're quite humble in the way you talk about, uh, you know, some of your achievements. But, you know, as you laid the framework and you mentioned these hard tasks, you know, really setting the stage for bringing IoT and cloud services to the world. Um, can you talk about that experience and what that was like and you know, some of the things you did along the way to bring those to fruition?
2: Yeah, no, it's so, a so
0: fascinating journey. I, again, I, would, I, I
2: feel a bit privileged to, got, to spend that, uh, that long time in Cisco. It feels like almost uh, half of my professional life which uh, I never set out um, to plan that way, but um, I really enjoyed uh, that long inning in Cisco, which had probably another eight 10 innings uh, in that span. But uh, what was really fascinating in that uh, period was uh, not just getting the opportunity to transform large business, say that uh, $3 billion, $5 billion scale in terms of, um, really nuts and bolts improvement to drive uh, nearly eight-point margin improvements, but also really opportunity to incubate uh, from zero. And um, I was part of uh, the opportunity to build our IoT solutions portfolio, uh, which uh, was, I think, one of the first um, serious attempts in the industry before everybody became fascinated with IoT. And we built the solutions covering multiple um, segments in terms of healthcare, um, remote banking, to physical safety and security, to uh, transportation and um, interactive video. And what really that taught the value of a disciplined scaling, uh, taking the business from zero in terms of validating the business models to drive Uh, wave one, wave two of scaling and then uh, mainstreaming the business. And uh, you make a lot of mistakes um, in spite of uh, a 50 billion-dollar company with all kinds of resources. Building a new business is not a slam dunk, Uh, you're going to make lots of mistakes. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to have the luxury of uh, learning quickly from those mistakes and uh, taking that portfolio to nearly 170 million uh, in a three, four year period and uh, that gave me an opportunity to then go, to a, go do it uh, two other times in terms of building a managed services business um, from 170 million dollar assets to about 350 million dollar business and then finally building the managed uh, cloud business another new entry for Cisco from an acquisition to jump start that business and uh, what that really ended up uh, doing is uh, just Reflecting, uh, what can we do with these transformative technologies? I was uh, in the middle of as these technologies will be becoming uh, huge, in terms of the power of the cloud um, and um, the mobility and IoT and uh, the whole shared economy it was creating. Uh, uh, of course, underlying all the uh, int- what, what what internet was making happen. But it was becoming clear in terms of uh, the sheer amount of um, innovation all these technologies were making possible. And that really uh, took me to my next decision to leave Cisco and pursue my passion in uh, driving the innovation across uh, these uh, multiple industries I cared about in terms of healthcare, in terms of renewable energy, in terms of... um, um, Uh, financial services and uh, so for a couple of years I jumped into that and being part of the incubation activity in Northeast Corridor whereby I was uh, looking at nearly 25 30 companies every month and that further cemented my uh, decision to really take all these amazing uh, innovative solutions and really bring them to impact our guide to sustainability. And I thought um, there was absolutely uh, unique opportunity in terms of uh, how some of these technologies have shown amazing power to aggregate variety of assets um, across a globally diverse uh, pool and uh, channel them to huge uh, geometrical, exponential impacts. So that is essentially uh, what led me to Carbon and uh, joined uh, Shane and uh, our amazing partners here.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you have a great, uh, a great uh, have, a, have had a life full of unique experiences. And just like everybody, anybody else's life, there are ups and downs. Could you tell me a little bit about, about some of the lessons you've learned and those, and and um, and certain, and tell me a little bit how you do things differently based on the experiences you've had and what kind of advice would you give students today?
2: Yeah, I think uh, in, in my view, um, many lessons, but the one which stands out is um, working in corporate life, um, I think over the last 15, 20 years, as we have all seen, um, the life between personal life and business life uh, uh, work life has completely blurred and um, i got to see that closely because of uh, working in cisco in that uh, 16 years where many of these technologies responsible for that blur came from cisco in terms of uh, internet in terms of mobility in terms of uh, virtual office the collaboration uh, uh, in terms of video, audio, conferencing, um, et cetera. And uh, what that does is uh, it really uh, can put you in a very fast uh, vortex uh, in which you never realize uh, where the life is going. And um, looking back, I was uh, part of that blur. Um, After 16 years in Cisco, it was hard to see when one week was uh, becoming the next week and when one one month was finishing and next month was starting or when one year got finished and uh, we were in the next year. All that period of 16 years became a blur. And uh, it can put you in that uh, vortex where you you have a hard time realizing uh, where the life is going and what the life is uh, worth. So I think uh, that... um, i would uh, in terms of my advice i think it's important to take that perspective of uh, overall what kind of life you want to live what that life uh, should mean um uh, uh, whether in in 10 years or 15 years or at the end of your uh, professional uh, uh, journey you want to focus on that meaning and then make sure you are consciously taking control of your uh, pace, your journey, your choices so that it doesn't become that blur uh, which uh, I felt it was for me for 16 years.
0: And all this I think leads up to exactly why you're here today with carbon, right I, I think you reached a certain junction point and as we've talked to other business professionals, you know people that even built, hundreds of millions of dollars of business, um, You know, whether they're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, there seems to be one common theme that they just haven't made that much of an impact with their life, and they feel like they need to do something more. you reach reached this crossroads where, and I think you and I kind of share the same mentality that there's so much technology in the developed world, and we keep developing more and more things just for the sake of development where we really uh, are starting to detract away from some of our own human capabilities, and I think we've talked about this before, but why why Carbon, why now? What do you plan to do with your amazing technology background? How do you use that to transform the realm of impact?
2: Yeah, no, Shane, so
0: I'll share a couple of experiences,
2: which were eye-opening for me. Um, I was... um, in Madagascar about two and a half years ago, and um, what fascinated to me was um, one of the countries which uh, became famous in uh, Richard Attenborough movies uh, on the nature. In terms of uh, the one of one of the most unique uh, places in the world, where the diversity of uh, wildlife, that flora and fauna was. Uh, the probably the nowhere else in the world that um, it, it, it 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 the whole country developed completely isolated because it is so far from any other uh, continent um, or the coastline. And uh, what a fascinating place! I have always dreamed of going there uh, to see that uh, flora, fauna, that rich diversity of unique wildlife up close. And um, having those, um, that special expectation I land in the country and uh, the country, nearly 95 percent of the country has no roads. You step out of uh, the capital city with the airport, and uh, hardly any place have any electricity, no roads, no electricity. And the poorest, probably one of the poorest countries in the world where predominantly most of the population is living um, on um, rice or um, fish and uh, struggling to have second meal on the table. And uh, it almost feels like uh, a place which is uh, left behind by the civilization, nearly 50 years behind the rest of the world. And uh, in spite of that, um, everybody having uh, a one or two cell phones, uh, you go in the deep, country, deep part of the country and uh, all around you that unique flora and fauna getting destroyed because people are burning uh, and uh, creating, uh, emptying the space to be able to grow some crops, to be able to earn their livelihood. So this uh, world heritage getting uh, wiped out right in front of you. People are very poor, not having means to earn their uh, next meal on the table. And at the same time, the technology had made its way where people have the solar panel on the on the uh, wooden uh, mud hut, and having a wire to recharge their cell phones
0: and um, using the cell phones. So, so, so what, you're telling me people can't put a meal on the table, or at least their second meal for the day, but they have a solar panel with a cell phone in their exactly.
2: house. Exactly. What what a contrast, right? What that really showed uh, that. We have a unique opportunity whereby the technology has given us a reach to be able to take whatever solutions we design to the farthest corners of the world at a speed which we would never could dream of. The, just the combination of the two technologies in this case, in terms of mobility, in terms of data communications. Any cell phone with a screen-based device, essentially a screen-based device, uh, the cell phone, it can allow you to take so many creative solutions, whether the solution for healthcare, whether the solution to teach people new skills, or really give them the tools to um, get the best value for their produce, or really giving them advance notice about the weather, all kinds of things. So many things are becoming now service-oriented, information-based economies. So that was eye-opening in terms of uh, what can be, what what the number of things which can be done to really change um, the the whole situation in a country like Madagascar. And then I see the another example in terms of in Kenya, the couple of engineers uh, from Vodafone, they got together and they created an amazing solution. To what they're calling now MCoPA which uh, was not a technology innovation, but rather a business model innovation, to be able to bring uh, the solar-based electric- electricity, uh, the lighting solution to the poorest uh, 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 residents in uh, remote parts of Kenya, which have no electric lines, no transmission lines for electricity, burning uh, oil lamps for a few hours of light and uh, the kids uh, living in this hut, where um, there's a huge health risk by burning uh, those kerosene lamps and not having enough electricity, and all they did was simply package the solar panels with a wireless chip and uh, added uh, twenty six twenty uh, four month thirty six month install best base installment based payments and uh, the that packaging created such affordable access to very stable reliable power reduce that health risk eliminate that health risk give the kids uh, persistent reliable light to be able to um, read and do it at almost 30 40 percent less cost than the money they were spending on that kerosene lamp and uh, very safe for the banks to give that installment loan because the solar panel was coupled with a wireless chip so if somebody is falling behind on the installment they can remotely switch it off so perfect uh, reduction in the credit risk, uh, making it very affordable for the, for the household, and household had all the incentives to not fall back on the payment. So what an innovative solution to solve uh, such crucial problem and highly scalable, because that packaging of the panels with a wireless chip and install basement-based model is completely packageable and uh, scaled very fast. So again, an example of innovation, which can benefit so many countries, so many towns, so many places in the world. So what I saw time and again, Shane, is that uh, there's no shortage of such solutions. And these solutions are being created all over the world. We don't need to just have a developed country like the U.S. leading with all the innovation. The innovation is happening in so many places. You can go to Sri Lanka, you can go to Cambodia, you can go to Kenya, or you can go to Belgium. There's no shortage of innovative minds solving these hard problems in all the domains. And that what that's what excited me to see a unique opportunity. What if we can take these solutions which has proven, which has proven their economic viability, which has solved the problems? And what if we can take each of these solutions and spread them to other 1,000 places? The MCOPA solution in Kenya, what if we can take it to 2,000 villages in the, uh, I don't know, the third, 30, 40 countries? Lots of solutions like that. And um, if we can create a platform to help multiply them, I think then we have a chance to
0: really change the world. So, so for- expand on that some more. I mean, you just laid down a lot of different pieces that have all been kind of stitched together that's creating this unique opportunity. I mean, you talked about individual finance, you talked about data, you talked about distribution, connected devices. You know, As you look at carbon and the idea of how we empower individuals, at the end of the day, that's what this thing is all about. And I think it takes the walls down from institution and puts the power in the hands of people and communities to change their own direction. Talk more about this platform of what you're trying to do and how you envision this all being stitched together. Connect us. Right. No. Th- thanks for uh, actually interrupting and
2: um, bringing me to that crucial point, Shane. You you made w- one of the things which also became clear. I was look as I was looking at Amcor about um, number of uh, social impact solutions is that. Um, and, and this was also an observation through my activities in uh, incubator here in New Jersey and the tech launch and uh, accelerator in New York, uh, ERA. The time and again, the scaling going from first successful deployment to the next 10, to the next 50, to next 100, is a classical scaling problem. And uh, frequently, the commercial uh, enterprises are able to do it because they are focused on one specific domain, one specific, uh, frequently one specific country, and it, it's not that difficult to go from finding the first five customers to the next fifty to next hundred. In the social impact domain, it's uh, very different. Frequently, most of the innovators, uh, driven by their passion they are starting with their vision to be able to make a transformational impact on the world, which means they see an opportunity to take their social impact solutions to thousand other places worldwide. The challenge becomes after their first successful deployment to repeat that to the next 10 towns, next 10 cities, next 10 countries, you got to find in each of those new targets the resources which can help you tweak the entire business model, whether it's a cost of pricing, whether it's a packaging, whether it is cultural fit, whether it is compliance with the local uh, regulations or uh, whether it is financial structure, all of that requires what I would call the local adaptation or tweaking. And um, that requires hard resources. So imagine if this innovator which worked hard for four or five years, built a successful business model, demonstrated the success in one domain. Now having that innovator, that entrepreneur will have very hard time going to hundred other towns in the world and finding a combination of those hundreds of resources in those, each of those locations. That may take a lifetime for him to do. And that is the hard problem, which we call the, what I would call the last mile resourcing issue. And imagine if all the 1,000 power transformational solutions have to do it. Now you've got a geometrically, exponentially difficult problem. And that's why most of the social impact solutions uh, barely go from the first successful deployment to the next five, to next six, next seven. And that alone takes about seven eight nine ten years so we are caught up into this classical serial scaling which takes years almost decades to barely scratch the surface of the potential of these solutions and that that was the that's the biggest uh, issue one of the learnings i saw time and again and um when i reflected back i I realized it doesn't have to be that way because of the two fundamental changes I mentioned in the beginning, the demographical change as well as the technology change. Let me talk about the demographical change first. So right as where we live today, if you look at the population around us and if you break it into three segments, you look at the millennials uh, which have proven to be the most potent uh, force in terms of nearly 70 million Millennials in the US alone, uh, every survey has shown their willingness to drive the decisions according to their value system, whether purchasing products, whether uh, taking up a job, or whether being activist. Millennials are clearly showing uh, their serious intent to drive, uh, to really march forward uh, on the social issues they care about. As you go into the working professionals, people have come together in large numbers to contribute for large-scale solutions like Wikipedia, like uh, Linux. And um, they are given their CS time, talent, uh, resources to make things happen. And then you look at the third segment of the population, what I would call the early retirees. People are more and more retiring in their early 50s to uh, even uh, late 40s. And what that means is that they have another 25, 30 years of productive life, and these are people even more capable because they have already gathered the lifetime of successes and experiences and uh, have technology and financial capacity to contribute towards their passions. But guess what? The, even though these people add, add up in uh, tens of millions, the challenge is they're all in the, on individual islands. So I may live in New Jersey, I may have marketing uh, expertise, I may have 10 hours per week to give, and I may care about ocean pollution, and I may have another five, ten thousand 10,000 of financial capacity to contribute. Guess what? Every other individual is in the same boat. What that means is a highly fractured resource pool with very large numbers, but completely untapped today because there's no platform to aggregate this highly diverse distributed pool of resources and harness that combined power, and the the, the the good thing is today there are technology platforms like marketplace, which have proven to be very effective in aggregating that kind of variety of resources and channel them for um, the right solutions in a dynamic fashion. So this is the where the the unique opportunity. What if we can tap into this existing ecosystem of very capable, passionate individuals who are raising their hands, who wants to contribute to the social impact issues and match them with these thousands of proven solutions and solve the last mile resourcing. And that, I think, can give us a unique opportunity to change the current serial scaling to concurrent scaling. So let me
0: get this straight. You're talking about taking a marketplace or creating this mechanism that we all know exists online and literally connecting people that are building solutions around impact in their own communities, societies, and matching them up with individuals, like what, professionals at a law firm, accountants, um, engineers um, that have time and resources that they can spend to work on these initiatives? Absolutely.
2: And so that way, that innovator who proved their model in one location had a chance to take their, their success concurrently, not in a CL fashion over 10, 15 years, but concurrently spin up 100 other replications. And so
0: this, this goes back to your comment earlier about not being able to make an impact until later in life. And you know, really, can you seize that opportunity earlier? Is that, am I reading that correctly? This gives people a chance to do that? Absolutely. So think
2: about now all the... Individuals who are looking for the meaning in their twenties, who are looking for value-driven opportunities in their twenties and thirties, and and uh, as they are young and um, energized, all these individuals they can either run with these solutions in their domains, own these businesses, and uh, be joined by other millions of people who are ready and raising their hands or these individuals can contribute to existing solutions being uh, deployed in the hundreds of locations. So the people have now choice through this kind of mechanism to be either innovators or to contributors or to be owners of the businesses which uh, are uh, ready to be deployed around these transformative proven solutions, economically viable solutions.
1: So, what kind of challenges uh, are you facing about putting this type, uh, this sort of platform together?
2: So, I, I keep this platform um, requires few critical things to happen to be in place. So, number one, for us to be able to aggregate, harness, and then channel that collective power of millions, we need to be able to create a single ecosystem. <clears throat> bring these individuals who have raised their hands, who have already expressed their desire and choice, we need to be able to bring them into one place. It doesn't help for these individuals to go to thousands of uh, uh, places to find the volunteer work. Uh, That doesn't really help much. We need to bring the existing uh, ecosystem of communities, whether that community is 10 individuals or the community is of a million people already on uh, platforms like uh, Nature Conservancy. So there are already existing communities of hundreds and thousands of millions of people who are already coalesced together. We need to aggregate them into one mega community. That is the number one uh, critical competency, critical uh, Uh, capability we need to develop. Marketplace is a great enabling platform, but that needs to happen in terms of creating movement and in terms of creating ecosystem of um, communities around one particular interest or one particular solution or one particular geography. So that uh, is one of the major pieces of work uh, we at Carbon are embarking to do.
0: And And are you planning to pull in all the existing kind of social communities like Facebook, Twitter, um, so you can kind of create groups around that that can feed this mechanism?
2: So Facebook, w- very good questions. Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all these social medias are key enabling tools because they allow at a very rapid speed to help these, the people with common interest, shared passion to come together and form communities. So they're absolutely key tools to form, for essentially form these communities to drive uh, common, uh, common, uh, common interests, common passions. But then, after you got, you have these communities, you then the second thing you need to do is uh, really match these communities according to their interest according to their passions and experiences in a dynamic fashion to the right solution. So there's a matchmaking which needs to happen in terms of matching the right individuals with the right skills, with the right capacity to the right solutions. So these concurrent hundreds of solutions can be spun up to accelerate scaling and deployment. So that is the second thing which needs to happen. The third thing is another critical Uh, capability we need to bring into this is what we call the financial inclusiveness. We all know people contribute when they see the transparency in terms of they're able to see the impact outcome of their efforts, and also when they can see the fairness. People are these passionate individuals in this domain, are not necessarily driven by financial motives, but at the same time people wants to see a fairness. An economical equity, besides a social equity, and that is another critical piece which we are bringing to the table, which has not been done very effectively so far, by making sure everybody who joins together to help scale these solutions concurrently hundreds of times, they get the fair share of the economic value being created, whether that is uh, the entrepreneur who created the solution or whether the group which is owning that application of in a new domain, or whether it is uh, 10 other individuals who are contributing virtually for partial bandwidth, or whether it is an investor who is making the seed capital available for that uh, successful application. All of the people will share in, the,
0: in a fairness economic manner. This is a massive, massive vision And I didn't ask this earlier, but as I I think about what we call our carbon footprint, you know, what what is the mark on humanity that you want to leave? I'm assuming this is it. It
2: it is. I think um, one more thing, Shane, I would add. um, I think uh, you asked the question earlier, and I uh, sidestepped it a little bit. So while we're trying to do this, I think there's another uh, huge change we need to drive. Uh, We the 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 good and bad today in terms of good being uh, there are billions of dollars almost uh, Barron talks about nearly thirty trillion of money which is getting tagged with um, what they call ESG in terms of uh, sustainability considerations that is the good news however how that money is getting channeled has not changed for last twenty years or thirty years A lot of talk about social impact investing. But still, fundamentally, that capital is being channeled in the same old fashion, in terms of people talking about expectation of 20% plus market return. And um, in addition to that, looking for that investment, also creating social good. So making money while doing good, becoming a common slogan. But uh, fundamentally, it is actually, potentially creating huge barriers, because what that is doing is continuing to undervalue the social impact like that results from driving change, whether in terms of environment, whether it's a climate, whether it is uh, resources, food, water, energy, whether it is education or whether it's empowerment, all these are massive changes. But as I was saying in the beginning, they are softer changes, they are intangibles, they are not easy to measure, at least by putting in a spreadsheet in five minutes, uh, it requires hard work. And because they, that they require hard work and a lot of other type of data, people are not putting that hard work and not measuring it and simply bucketizing it in the social good and just putting that as an additional criteria for their capital uh, flows. So that is creating a huge barrier because it is creating suboptimal decisions. Uh, the reality is many of these changes, whether literacy changes, whether women's empowerment changes, whether resource efficiency type changes, climate, um, flora and fauna, water, energy, these are far bigger in their real economic impact than the return we are expecting in terms of 20% market return. So by ignoring that, we are frequently making suboptimal decisions and not channeling that capital for the in returns which are far bigger, but they're getting essentially starved of the capital. So that's the one fundamental change we need to drive. And I think that's another thing which we are hoping to do in carbon in terms of having ca- measures which are going to measure not just uh, the easy to measure financial returns, but also the economic value of
0: these transformational, social, and environmental impacts. And that is a massive topic. I think what we will do, we're going to do another podcast just on that alone. I know we're uh, taking up some time here, but uh, I know, Keeb, you got some questions, and uh, this has been an absolutely amazing, phenomenal talk, uh, and I can't be more
1: thrilled to share this journey with you, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much, Rattan. It was absolutely amazing. Um, I just want to, uh, and I want to ask you, um, who would you like to pass the mic to?
2: Yeah, so so a lot of people, uh, my friend. I think uh, I I can give you fifteen names, but uh, I would love to see Gobi share his journey. And I think there are so many names. Um, I, every day, I I see ten other individuals uh, showing up in terms of the amazing work they're doing. That just just to give you an example. The MCW network, uh, which uh, we are partnering with, uh, they're doing an amazing job of uh, providing funding to these young entrepreneurs all over the world. And uh, there was this individual from uh, Bangalore in India who fresh out of college, I think he had worked for uh, three, four years, uh, a guy named Sharad Kuna. And uh, I was just blown away by his submission, uh, which MCW is supporting, and I'm hoping to provide mentorship to this uh, young entrepreneur. He wants to change uh, how education is done in India by changing the perspective of education in terms of uh, having people value vocational skills, vocational education, more than uh, academic education, which is at the core of such a high unemployment uh, when you look around. And uh, his idea is very simple in terms of being able to leverage people who have become successful in their trades and have these successful people share their vocational skills and uh, learnings in using a virtual platform, e-learning platform, to all the uh, fresh college graduates uh, who can benefit from these vocational skills and are not unemployed for many, many years or caught up into underpaid, unproductive employments which don't really match with their uh, passion, their uh, skills. So phenomenal idea. And uh, again, it's coming from a young entrepreneur and I would love to see uh, the story from that kind of entrepreneur. I think it tells something uh, that there's a power in youth, there's a power in millennials, and The innovation can come from any part of the world. It can come from Bangalore in India, and it can be applied to US. It can be applied to any other part of the world.
0: That sounds like a phenomenal person that we would love to get on this show, and I uh, will encourage you to reach out to him. We would love to talk with him, uh, do a similar session. This is such an inspiring endeavor that you're on. As I said before, leave only your carbon footprint behind. Absolutely. So guys, this is Nathan Agarwal and uh,
2: love to have had this opportunity. I'm looking to leave my small footprint uh, and hoping the world will be a better place with all these efforts. So thank you, guys.
0: Again, this is the power one. Peace, love and carbon for all. Thank you. Thank you, guys.